0: Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be finishing up verses 24 through 29 tonight. You say you think so? I, I, I know so. We're going to finish it tonight. All right. Colossians chapter 1 verses 24 through 29. Now I rejoice, Paul says, in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. If you remember, we left off last week by looking at the many mysteries or secrets that God had revealed through Paul. These mysteries were not revealed by God in previous generations, but are revealed at this later time through his servant Paul, whom he taught face to face. Now, some of you don't think that maybe Paul was making up some of this stuff. Go with me real quick. Put a bookmark here in Colossians. Back up two books to the book of Galatians. (coughs) Three books. Galatians, and we're going to look at chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. Paul says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. That's Peter, by the way. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. and what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was, I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ They only were hearing it said that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Look closely what Paul says. Because there are those who try to say that Paul taught a different gospel or some of the things that Paul said really don't line up with who Jesus is. And there are those who try to teach that Jesus taught some things when he was on the earth in the gospels and that Paul's teaching some of the stuff you can accept from Paul and some of it you can't because Paul made some of it up. And I want you to see clearly that the scripture shows you Paul didn't make any of this up. And here he said, if you know his story in Acts chapter 9, you can look at it later on. When he was heading and he was heading on the road to Damascus to go... Get some more Christians and have them thrown into jail and put to death for their faith. Jesus shows up on that road and blinds him and says, why are you persecuting me? We looked at that last time we were together. And of course, he comes to faith and believes in the Lord Jesus. And he's sent to this man Ananias. Ananias heals him of his blindness. And what happens? He goes immediately out into the desert of Arabia for how long? Three years. And Jesus taught him face to face, if you will. And taught him these things. And so a lot of the stuff that you'll see Paul talk about are things that the Lord revealed to him. You're gonna see tonight that these mysteries that we touched on last week, and we're gonna look at one specifically tonight, are things that have weren't revealed in the Old Testament, they were revealed in the New Testament. And I'm gonna show you in a little bit. Jesus began to reveal them, Paul clarified them a little bit more. So when we look at these, don't let anybody say, well, this stuff that Paul said here, that's what Paul thought. No, this was he was taught by Jesus. And then he went and met with the other apostles, but it was only after three years. All right. Now Peter also stated that these "quote unquote" church mysteries were hidden from the prophets who spoke of things to come in the Old Testament. Go to 1 Peter chapter one, verses ten through twelve. Again, this is one of those reasons why I believe the Bible teaches that there are dispensations, if you will, or way, God works at different ways in different time periods. If you look at the scriptures, they'll, they'll show that this very clearly. First Peter chapter one, look at verses ten through twelve. Peter now is speaking, and he says concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that now have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So here Peter said that the prophets of the Old Testament, they knew that they were writing about some amazing time and a glorious time to come. And they were wanting to know when and what were they told? It's not for your lifetime, friends. It's actually going to be at a later time. And that's all that they were told. And this church age that we're in right now is something that God had designed. It's not plan B. It had been his plan all along. But it's something that he's designed for this time period. And as you're going to see tonight, it comes to a close. And then he finishes what he started with the nation of Israel, according to the prophecies. And things are getting in all into place in, the, in our world and today as we get closer and closer to this. So what we looked at last week was a bunch of the different mysteries that are being revealed or had been revealed in the New Testament. But tonight we're going to look at the one back here in Colossians. What is this mystery then that Paul is revealing in Colossians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27? Listen to what he says here. He says, this, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. The, the mystery or the secret that's being revealed in the New Testament is that the Messiah would live within each member of His church. Made up of Jew and Gentile, but mostly Gentiles. And this indwelling of God's Spirit would be the evidence and the guarantee of the believer's future reward and glory in heaven. So what I'm going to do, because we've touched on it plenty, I'm not going to spend too, too much time about the, the Christ being in us as our hope of glory and our evidence of the fact that there is salvation to come and that we're guaranteed eternity. I'm going to hit three places real fast for some of you that maybe don't know this, but for the rest of you, I think you know. I've taught on this a ton. That if you are in Christ, then Christ is in you. You are sealed by the Spirit of God. You are guaranteed eternity. You will not lose that salvation. God's the one that's holding on to you. Actually, I just quoted all the passages that I just, we're going to look at. So go, <laughs> go to, go to Ephesians, go to Ephesians. Look at look at chapter one, Ephesians chapter one. Listen to verses thirteen and fourteen. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, In Him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Alright? We've gotten His Spirit, we're sealed by God, by His Spirit, until we receive it fully when we see Him face to face and spend eternity with Him. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is what? Imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you see that? Who's holding on to your salvation? Is it you? It's God. All right. The spirit within us is evidence of our salvation. Well, look at Romans chapter eight, verses nine and nine, 10 and 11. Romans chapter eight. Romans 8, 9, 10, and 11. It says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Did you see that? If you're in Christ, God's spirit dwells in you. And if he's in you, we already saw in Ephesians 1, you're sealed. We already saw in 1 Peter, he's holding on to your salvation for you until you receive it when he comes to get us. And if we are in Christ and His Spirit lives within us, even though our bodies are still dead under the curse, they're getting worse, they're decaying, they're falling apart, the same Spirit of God which raised Jesus from the dead will do what for our bodies? He's going to give us new bodies as well. He'll give life to our mortal bodies. Now, the Bible teaches that before the rapture, those who die in Christ, their bodies go back to the dust of the earth, they go to be with the Lord. At the time of the rapture, when Jesus comes and gathers His church, He's going to bring with Him, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 3 verses, chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, He's going to bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Christ. Their bodies are going to come up out of the ground. Those of us who are alive at that time will be caught up and will go be with the Lord. That's when we get our new bodies at that time. But the Bible here tells you that if you have Christ in you, that is the hope of glory, the confidence that you are going to be in heaven. And so folks... It's time we move beyond the basics of, oh, I hope I'm going to heaven. Recently, I was on a golf course with Pastor Leroy from Central Baptist, and we got paired up with this young man, and uh, we got talking with him, and he said he went to a church in the area, and that's great. And I just asked him about the seventh hole. I said, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And he goes, that is yet to be determined. And here's a man that goes to a Bible-teaching church. This is not a slam against the church at all. That He needs to take by faith the Word of God that's being preached in that church. And I said, you know, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 that you can know that you have eternal life. He says, it does. I said, do you have a Bible app on your phone? He said, yes, it does. And so he pulled up. I love these things, man. You can play golf and <laughs> preach at the same time. He pulled, his, pulled it up on his phone. And uh, I showed him 1 John chapter 5 verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And then we took him to 1 John chapter 5 verse 24, which talks about how when we believe in Jesus, we have passed from death already to life. And so, folks, what I want you to understand is we need to get to that point because you you, you say, Jim, you're talking to the choir here. Well, guess what? As I travel the country and I speak to people who have been in church their whole life, you'd be amazed at how many Christians today who are sitting in the pews hope they're going to heaven, not in the biblical definition of the word hope, which is a confidence and a surety, but kind of like we say hope, I hope I don't hit any red lights. I'm late for work. (laughs) If you are in Christ and his spirit is in you, You're guaranteed you're going to heaven. That's what the Bible says. Now listen closely, though. Some of you say, well, how do I know if the Spirit's in me? Well, guess what, folks? The Bible actually says in Romans chapter 8, look at you're in chapter 8, look at verse 15. I mean verse 16. The Spirit, that's capital S, himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. You know what? If you're in him and he's in you, you'll know it. You'll know it. I don't know why all through all these years, I'm finally starting to believe the Bible for myself and start to stop trying to help it. You know, I used to teach a lot about the fact that, well, here's some ways you can know. The Bible says if his spirit's in you and you're you're, going to know, he's going to testify with your spirit that you're his. So. It's not an issue of am I saved? The spirit of God will show you where you stand. And guess what? You know. You know. All right. So that's all we're going to do on the hope of glory. Let's now go back to what the secret is, though, about being Christ in us. In order to more fully grasp this, we need to back up a bit. I'm going to take you back through God's plan. Not all of it, but a chunk of it. All right, And we're going to look at what had been prophesied in the past about the coming Messiah concerning the Gentiles. Listen again to Colossians 1, verses 26 and 27. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among who? Isn't that interesting? He chose to make known among the Gentiles what the riches of his glory and this mystery is, which is Christ in us. Now again, remember the church is made up of Jew and Gentile, but mostly Gentile. And God chose, for His purposes, at this moment, and I'll tell you a little bit later why God chose to do it this way, at this time in His plan of history, to reveal the glories of what He's going to give us to the Gentiles. Jew here to Jew there throughout the church age are going to be a part of it. But as a whole, He's revealing this wonderful mystery of Christ in us to who? To the Gentiles. So in order for us to get this, We need to go back and just look at what had been prophesied in the past about the coming Messiah concerning the Gentiles. All right. The Old Testament predicted the coming of the Messiah and that the Gentiles would be included in salvation. This is something the Jews didn't fully understand. The mystery is not that Gentiles would be saved. No, that had been revealed all along. I'm going to show you some scriptures. There are too many to show you tonight. I'm going to give you about five or six. Go to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. Listen to verses one through nine. (laughs) <laughs> Excuse me. Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the who? To the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. By the way, does anybody know who this is talking about? This is Jesus. This is the, the suffering servant, the servant that's being prophesied in my in Isaiah. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus God says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spreads out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk in it, Behold, the former things that have come to pass and the new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. All right. So here, when God's given this prophecy about this servant that he's going to use and his spirit's going to be on him and he's not going to crush a bruised reed or anything like that. He's not going to cry out in the streets. He also said, I'm going to use him as a light to the Gentiles and the nations. Go to Isaiah 45. Look at verses 20 through 23. Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told you this long ago? Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord, and there is no God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior? There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved. Who? All the ends of the earth. We already see he's he's speaking to the, the survivors of the nations in verse 20. And then he says, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness. A word that shall not return to me. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear allegiance. All right. Now, again, it's a little bit veiled, but it is here that God's salvation is not just for the Jew but also for the Gentile. Now, we know that when Jesus came on the earth, he went to who first? To Jew first. He was sent by his father to the Jews. It wasn't that he wasn't going to save any Gentiles. You're going to see Jesus talk about that in just a little bit. But you remember, Jesus, when he was on the earth, he still... What did he say about the centurion, the Roman centurion? I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. And the man was given righteousness. The woman who had the daughter who had the the, the demons in her. uh, in, In Matthew 15, again, you have great faith. When she said, I'll take the crumbs, you know, kind of a thing. So Jesus was still being used of God to give righteousness to Gentiles who had faith. It wasn't that he was ignoring the Gentiles totally, but because God has a plan and a purpose and he works things out according to his plan in his ways at, his, at certain times, he was mainly going at that time to the Jews. But the Bible all along had shown us that the Gentiles would be included. Go to Isaiah 49. It's going to start getting a little bit more clear. Isaiah 49, look at verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob, that's Israel, back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for who? The Gentiles, or the nations, so that my salvation may reach to where? to the ends of the earth. He had planned that not that the Jew would be the only one saved, but the Gentiles would be as well, but he was going to use the Jews as his instrument to reveal this truth to the rest of the world. That was his purpose. Just like he told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. They were to produce righteous offspring that would go out throughout the earth and they'd continue to spread that message. We in the church are supposed to be doing the same thing. We're to be the light of the world. We have Christ's light within us and we're to be wherever he puts us, evidences of the reality of the truth of this gospel. This had been his plan all along. I love this one. Psalm 22. Now I could take all our our whole hour in Psalm 22. If you've never read Psalm 22, go. Take a sec time to go look at it. Not now, but uh, but look at verses 22 through 28. This whole Psalm 22 is about the, pro- the, the, the prophecy about Jesus being crucified. It literally even says they're going to pierce my hands and feet. They're going to cast lots for my clothing. It is an amazing description of what Jesus was going to do. If you looked at proper, pro- Psalm 22, verse one, it starts off with my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Listen to verses 22 through 28, though. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. Speaking of Jesus, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, Israel, the Jews, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him. He, but he has heard when he cried to him. All along, the prophecies have been saying that the Gentiles would be included in salvation. Now, I'm going to chase a rabbit. I can't help it. I told you before, there's nothing wrong with chasing a rabbit. But you've got a couple of rules you have to follow before you chase a rabbit. Remember? Can you catch it? And if you catch it, does it taste good? This is a rabbit we can chase, and we can catch it, and it tastes awesome. Just jump ahead. This doesn't go with anything that we've been looking at, except in a small, small way. Look at verses 30 and 31. Psalm 22. Stay with the book we're in. Again, speaking of Jesus. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Do you see it? The prophecy even said that after he would die, he would still live because he would have posterity. But there would be a time period. Where the people would proclaim his righteousness to people who aren't even born yet. We're living it out right now, folks. Isn't that cool? We're right now in the middle of this prophecy being fulfilled. And what did Paul say? Remember what I received from the Lord, he said. When he was in 1 Corinthians 11 and talking about the Lord's Supper. And he said, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're to be living this out. We're to be telling people, yes, he was killed. Yes, he died. Yes, he rose from the dead, just like the scriptures had said all along. And he's coming back to gather all those who believe in him. And he'll give righteousness to anyone who will acknowledge their need of a savior, their understanding of the fact that they're not righteous in and of themselves, which is all of us. But if you by faith will turn to the God who will give you salvation through what Jesus did on the cross, you can be given eternal life. And we can brag on what God has done. And we can tell even the people that are yet on board if Jesus takes that long. And so that's just one not a cool rabbit to chase. All right, go back. I'm going to give you one more passage. Go to Psalm 98 that deals with the fact that the scriptures talked about the fact that the Gentiles would be included in salvation. But I'm going to ask you a question. We read Psalm 98 verses 1, 2, and 3. I'm going to ask you a question about it, though. It says a psalm. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the, the, end, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Now listen closely. Is this passage saying that they would receive the salvation or see it? It, this passage is saying that they'll see it. Some could say, Jim, this doesn't say that they will be given salvation. It could just simply say that the nations will see this salvation. Kind of like, well, he's given salvation to the Jews, but I guess we're left out. How can we know, again, using the whole of Scripture, that this passage, even though it appears to only be saying that they'll see it, not receive it, that also will know that the Gentiles will receive it. And I'm going to give you a clue. The answer is in Genesis chapter 12 in the Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 2 and 3. If you want to go ahead and turn there and look, you can. But I'm going to wait for an answer. How can you tell me from Genesis 12 1 2 and 3 that the Gentiles won't just see it, but they'll receive it? In you, talking to Abraham, in you all of the nations of the earth will be what? Will be blessed. They're not blessed if they just sit there and see it. They're blessed if they're given it as well. And again, the scripture had said it even from the beginning, that actually the Gentiles would be included in salvation. So the mystery, the mystery that Paul's talking about is not that the Gentiles would be saved. That can't be the mystery because that had been revealed. Actually, the New Testament spoke of salvation being for both Jew and Gentile as well. Go to Luke 2, verses 22 through 32, real quick. I'm going to hit a few passages in the New Testament. Luke 2, verses 22 through 32. It says when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they, this is Joseph and Mary, brought him, meaning Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, the promised Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And for glory to your people, Israel. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say Israel and the Gentiles. He says Gentiles first. Isn't that interesting? Now, let me just point out something else real quick. Simeon had been told that he wouldn't die until he'd seen the promised Messiah. Led of the Spirit, knowing how to walk in the Spirit, even though the Spirit wasn't indwelling him, but the Spirit would come upon those who believed in that day. He went to the temple. As he's there... He sees this baby that's being brought. And by the way, I'm pretty sure there were others that are all being brought around this time. And he knows this is the one. And he says, you can take me home now. I've seen him. Wait a minute. (laughs) This is a kid how old? Eight days days old. This is a kid eight days old. Thirty days old at, at this point death of purification. That's right. Eight days he was circumcised. 30 days at this point because she had to finish her purification because of her uncleanness because of the the issue of blood. Good point. Now, here's the point. 30 days old at this time. What has he done? What can he do? How do we know if he's going to finish the job? How do we know if he's going to do a good job? Listen, if God said it, it's going to happen. For years, I remember back in the 80s, we had this bumper sticker that said this, God said it, I believe it. That settles it. Eh, That's wrong. God said it. Whether you believe it or not, that settles it. It's settled. Man, I love that faith of Simeon. He didn't have to wait and see how it all worked out. No, God, you said this is the one. I'm good. Take me home. I don't even have to see it lay out. I've seen, you promised me I'd see him. I'm good. Folks, that's what God's looking for. He's looking for that kind of faith. All right. Go real quickly to uh, um, John chapter one. You're in Luke two. Go to John chapter one. I'm going to hit this real fast. You say you haven't hit the other part slow. (laughs) John chapter one. Listen to verses one through thirteen. Now you might if you're not looking carefully, you'll miss this. But the Gentiles are mentioned here, not by the name Gentile. But listen closely. In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with, the be- with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him, He was not anything made that was made. In Him, meaning Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. We know him as John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through Him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Did you catch that? He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people, the Jews, did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Did you catch that? Twice in there, it shows us that the Gentiles would be included. Came to everyone and he came to his own people and they didn't receive, but all who did. All right. Keep going. Go to Luke chapter 20. You're there in first John. You can just I mean John chapter one. Just back up a couple of pages to Luke chapter 20. Listen to verses six through 18. <clears throat> Jesus is here and as he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard. I'm starting in verse 9. I told you 6. It's verse 9. Sorry. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and lent, it out, lent out to a tenants, and he went to another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty handed. And he sent another servant, but they, him they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I'll send my beloved son. who Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Now again, this is veiled to some, but this is a truth here that's kind of tied into what's going on. Jesus is still offering this salvation to the nation of Israel, yet he also knew that they were going to as a whole reject him. And he gave this parable and he said pretty much because of the rejection, I'm going to destroy you. And give it to others. And we're in that time period. But don't (laughs) fall prey to those who teach that the church has replaced Israel and that God's done with Israel. Don't go that way. Too many churches today. I don't know if you notice or not. Many mainline Christian denominations are siding with the Palestinians right now against Israel because of their misunderstanding of the scriptures. And they actually think that the church is now the fulfillment of all the promises. No, we've been grafted in, as you're going to see. We've been allowed to be a part of what God had promised to the nation of Israel. But the Bible teaches so clearly that he's not done with Israel. We'll never be done with Israel. He also had told them, because of your rejection, there'll be a time period where I will cast you off and scatter you to all the nations, not the Babylonian captivity or the Assyrian captivity, but there's going to be a time I'll scatter you to all the nations. But in the very end, I will bring you back from all of those nations. I love the fact that Netanyahu is saying to all the Jews all over, hey, guys, just come on back here. I'm, I, was like, I literally, I hear him say that, I go, preach, brother, preach. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Yes, sir. <laughs> What I deal with it a lot when I go to those churches that teach that I just take the time to just show them the scriptures. And, like oh, big time! But here's the thing: I take them to Romans chapter 11 because it's so clear. And it, I just one pastor say, "You're the first person that's ever said Romans 11 was clear." <laughs> I said, "It's really clear when you just read it and take it for what it says." Am I done with Israel? No. Have they fallen beyond recovery? No. <laughs> it's really clear. So, all right, let me show you two others real quick. Go to John 10, verses 1 through 16. Again, we're looking at the fact that the New Testament as well talked about the fact that the Gentiles would be included in this salvation. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the door uh, sorry, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. I think the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we're his children, something like that. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but he, they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, sorry, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Listen to verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice, so there'll be one flock and one shepherd. Who's he talking about when he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold? The Gentiles. But there's going to be one flock and one shepherd. All right. Now, we're not going to take the time to turn there because we've got too much to cover in the 20 minutes we have left. But also, if you look at Acts chapter 15, verses 12 through 18, when God uses uh, Peter and, 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 and uh, others and Cornelius and his family get saved, remember? And then all the Jewish believers were like, well, you went into a Gentile's house. And they're now deciding in the, uh, uh, the, the council there in Acts 15 about whether or not the Gentile believers in the church in Antioch had to be circumcised in order to be saved and all this stuff. James stands up and he quotes from the book of Amos and the book of Jeremiah. And he says, guys, guess what? The Old Testament had said all along that the God was going to save the Gentiles too. So all along, this is not a mystery that the Gentiles would be included. What is the mystery then that's being revealed? Yes. <laughs> that the Messiah would indwell the Gentile believers, thus revealing and giving us a taste of some of the glories to come. Now, so if we've already seen, God had been teaching all along, the, uh, the, the nations, uh, being, all the nations being included in God's salvation plan. And that even though as a whole they rejected him, God was using the Jews as a light to the nations. But this is only temporary. We already looked at it last week. Paul says, let me tell you a mystery. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until what? The full number of Gentiles has come in. All right. Now, the mystery being spoken of by Paul is that God would not only save the Gentile and Jew through faith, but would indwell them as well, empowering them to live out the righteousness he's given them. Do you know Jesus actually began revealing this mystery? It wasn't Paul. Go real quick to John chapter 14 and you'll see Jesus actually began to teach and teach this truth. John 14 verses 15 through 23. In John 14 verse 15, Jesus says this. He says, if you love me and, you'll, and you will keep my commandments and I'll ask the father and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Holy the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be where he will be in you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you'll see me because I live. You will also live. And in that day you will also know that I am in my father and you are in me and I am what? In you, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. All right, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and we'll make our home with him. So this mystery of Christ in us wasn't revealed by Paul. It was begun first revealed by Jesus. All right. Paul continued to expound on it. We already looked at Romans 8, verses 9 and 10. You can go back again. It talks about how Christ is in us. What, is his, what did he say in Galatians 2 20? I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer life. live. Christ exactly. Christ lives in me. Awesome. That's great. Hey, listen to what it says. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Now Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith. We're going to come back to that. Keep that in mind. Can you quote it again before we're done tonight? All right, because I just didn't know if you were a one-hit wonder. (laughs) All right. Sometimes you are. Go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verses 7 through 19. What you just said, Niggy, is going to be a really cool way for us to wrap it all up tonight. Ephesians chapter three verses seven through nineteen. I'm just saying that to get you nervous so you, okay. you crack. All right, Ephesians three verses seven through nineteen. Listen to what Paul says. Of this gospel, I was made a, made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you see what Paul's saying here? It wasn't that he was just to reveal the fact that the Messiah would live in us. That had already been shown by Jesus. His calling, go back to Colossians 1, was to reveal what? Everything. To Verse 27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Did you catch that? He goes, I'm not supposed to just tell you oh by the way here's a mystery the Messiah is going to live in you that's already been taught by Jesus what I've been called to do as we just saw touched on in Ephesians 3 is to help you understand all the riches that are now available all that is now yours because Christ lives within you now I put in my notes I'm tempted here to go into all the riches of God's glory to us in Christ but we're going to deal with that more in chapter 2 next week Because we're going to get into chapter 2. As we start moving into chapter 2, how he talks about how in Christ, all the deity lived in bodily form, and we have been given fullness in Christ. So I feel like God says, let's not go there just yet. We'll deal with that when we get to chapter 2. So we'll come back next week to start looking at that. For the rest of tonight, let's close with looking at what Paul says in verse 29. Now, if you remember, Paul had already said that his and our purpose was to use our gifts to the role of, and the role that God had given us, to be used of God to present everyone mature in Christ. We've already spent our time on that. Paul says in verse, chapter 1, verse 29, that for this, that he would present everyone mature in Christ, for this he toils, struggling with all his, or God's energy, which so powerfully works in me. Alright, what we're going to deal with in the time we have left, is this wrestling match that most Christians have. And like I say, I have been... You notice I've been stumbling over my words a little bit tonight because I couldn't wait to get to this part. All that other stuff was really cool and I hope you got a lot out of it because I did too. Because it was so cool to see the whole plan of God being laid out. I love to see that stuff. But I want to bless you or be used of God to bless you tonight as Christians to get over this hump of the struggle that we all have versus the flesh and the spirit. How Do we work for God, yet let Him do it through us? We've heard us talk about that. I've even tried to teach on it in Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians. But tonight, I think God finally opened my eyes to another way that I could be used from the Scriptures to help you see how to let this balance happen. All right. so look closely. Paul says that he is struggling, toiling. If you look at the Greek words, those aren't light words. He's working hard. Yet he says it's all God's energy which works through him. So how do we learn how to work for God yet have God do it through us? You see this is a balance we all must learn to acquire. Go to 1 Corinthians 15 and look at verse 10. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 10. You're gonna see this balance in Paul's teaching actually also in Peter's. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 10. Paul says, by the, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Talking about these other apostles that he was being accused of not being as good as. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Again, Paul said, I worked the hardest, yet it wasn't me it was Christ in me. Again we see this balance. How do we figure this out? We'll get there. You know Philippians 2 verses 12 through 13. We've talked about it a lot where he says, I want you to work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. For it is, verse 13, God who works in us both to will or the desire and to act according to his good purpose. Again, this wrestling match. We're to be working yet at the same time we're going to learn to let God do it through us as we work. How? Well, We'll get there. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. I want to lay the foundation from the scriptures. I want you to see this is what the Bible's been teaching all along. Peter even talked about it. First Peter four, verses 10 through 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks speaks. As one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Again, Peter says the same thing. Whatever it is that God's got for you to do, you need to do it. Hang on, don't run off yet, but let Him do it through you. We've got a problem. We all have a tendency to run to one ditch or the other. We don't understand a lot of times or like balance, do we? That's why we get into so many fusses with each other in Christianity over doctrine, because some people take some of the truth of the scripture, but only part of it. And they run to this side and they think that's the only way. And there are others who go to the other side, take the other half of the truth of the scriptures, and they're on this ditch and you're going to be in ditches and you're not going to be where God wants you to be. You're going to look at the scripture. The Bible teaches a balance of understanding they're both there. Do not try to do something in your own strength. Neither, though, should you sit back and wait for God to do it. We must live for God by faith. Listen closely. And in order, for, in order to do anything by faith, we must do it in response to what he said. Remember, faith cannot begin until God has spoken. Peter did not step out of the boat until after Jesus said, Come. When I say doing something by faith, I am not saying, like some people teach faith, well, I'm going to just do this and trust that God will take care of it. I'm, you know, how many often do we even say that? Someone, you know, uh, I play golf sometimes, and I actually catch myself saying it the other day when we were playing Earl on Monday, and and, uh, uh, and one of the guys says, I'm going to hit this one right down the middle, and I said, oh, you're a man of faith. And then I thought about it. That's a horrible definition of faith, because God didn't say you were going to hit it down the middle. That's faith in your own self. That's not a definition of faith. So listen to what I'm saying again. In order to do anything by faith, we must do it in response to what the Lord has said. Therefore, we must know God's will and then step out to do His will, resting in the strength and the power of God to accomplish it. And if we are trusting in God to work His will through us, listen, here's the answer. Here's the key that God opened my eyes to that I hadn't really ever shown you before, or at least not in this way. We must leave the results to God as well. This is the key, folks, that all of a sudden I saw it as I was studying this and it went, aha. And I'm going to show you that Jesus did this. The trick that gets us out of not letting God do it through us is we've been taught to measure results. How are we doing? How did we do I even was taught in some of the churches, you have to have an evaluation process. And we had to go through, we would do a project or whatever, and we'd have the evaluation process. We'd all get back together and see what could we do better next time. How could we streamline this? And it sounded so good. But it was all the flesh. We were all taught to measure. Again, you've heard me talk about it. Many of us grew up in the church. We're up on the front with those plaques. How many were in Sunday school? How many were in worship? You get mad if you grab the bulletin and, un- and it doesn't tell you what the offering was last week. We got to know how we're doing. Nowhere, nowhere, nowhere in the scriptures does the Bible say the results are up to us. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and he'll take care of the rest. When? Don't worry. How? Not your job. If you, my words abide in you and you abide in me, you're going to produce fruit. When, Lord? Don't worry. How? Not your job. Paul says one plants and another waters. It's God who produces the increase. Folks, you want to know what will help you find this balance? You find out what God has called you to do and you do that with everything you got. Listen, and don't examine how you did trust that God will do it through you as you do it you let him do it through you and you leave the results to God. You want to see how cool this is? Go back to John 14. Verses that, what verse is what? The one you just said you told us everything. Yeah, that told yeah. us everything. The verse that you The verse that I just said that told everything? <laughs> uh, leave the results. I quoted I recorded 3 or 4 verses for that unfortunately, so you're going to have to listen online. Actually, come up afterwards and I'll I'll give you because we got you got you are you listen online? Okay, there you go. In in yeah, it'll be a couple days. Our sound man is sick, but he will have it online in a couple of days. John 14. Look closely at John 14 in the verses 9 and 10. A lot of people don't realize this. They thought Jesus was doing these things himself. He wasn't. Listen to John 14. Listen to what Jesus said. Verses 9 and 10. Philip. Uh, Look at verse eight. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it'll be enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Look at verse 10. Do you not believe that I'm in the father and the father's in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the father who dwells in me does his works. I don't know if you all knew this or not, but even though Jesus was God, the Bible says he limited himself. And he actually walked on this earth in the way in which he wants us to walk. And he let the father do through him. Listen, only what the father had for him to do. John chapter five, verse 17. Jesus said, my father is always at his work to this very day. And I, too, am working. Verse 19. He says the son can do nothing by himself. He only does what his father has him do. All right. So Jesus said, everything that I'm doing, it's not me doing it. It's the Father doing it through me. Go to chapter 17. We've got time to wrap this up. John 17, verses 1 through 12. Jesus is in the garden. He's praying in the garden right before the cross. And listen to what he says in verses 1 through 12. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all you whom you have given him and this is eternal life that they they know you the only true god and Jesus Christ whom you have sent i glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do did you catch that John the Baptist when, he, when Jesus started baptizing or people, his disciples were doing actual baptism but they were baptizing more. They came to John in John chapter 3 and they said, don't you realize this one you pointed to on the other side of the river? He's actually baptizing people and more people are going to him. John said, a man can only receive what he's been given from above. He must increase, I must decrease. My role was the, bri- the friend of the bridegroom, now that the bridegroom's come, I'm just going to kind of go off into the, into the shadows and he's going to be the one that gets the attention now. And Jesus here said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do." What did Paul say at the end of his life? I fought the fight. I finished the race. I've done what God's asked me to do. Look at what he says now. Verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Listen closely. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except who? The son of destruction, that the scripture may be fulfilled. Listen to what the scripture is saying here. Jesus says, I did everything you told me to do, and I did everything through you, and I kept all of them, except one. Judas. Judas which never was one. I never lost any of them, except the one doomed to destruction so the scripture would be fulfilled. Look at Jesus' prayer. I did what you asked me to do, and there were many who believed. Judas didn't. But I leave that to you and your foreknowledge. I put in my notes here, Jesus did not see Judas' rejection as a failure on his part. You don't see Jesus saying, I wish I could have had a little more time with him. I wish I could have said more. What did he say when he sent his disciples out two by two? When you go into a town, let your peace go out. Share the truth. If they receive it, great. It isn't you that opened their eyes. If they don't, move on. Folks, one of the reasons why we try to do stuff in the flesh is we have been taught in the church to measure our results, to see how we're doing. Is your Sunday school class getting bigger? Is your crowd getting larger? And we've been taught to focus on numerical growth and not spiritual growth. And it has pulled us out of the abiding relationship. We're no longer learning to let God do stuff through us because we're too busy trying to go get stuff done. You want to have it balanced? You find out what it is He's called you to do, and you don't let anybody else tell you what you're supposed to be doing. You just do what Jesus has you do, and you bust your fanny. And you leave the results to God. You leave the results to God. For years, I used to preach in the flesh. I didn't know what it meant to preach in the spirit. I would cram and study and prepare and pray, and and I'd get in the pulpit, and I'd be so nervous. I'd be one of those guys that'd have to lock myself away for hours ahead of time on Sunday morning. And then I'd go preach and then Becky will tell you. The second I walked out of the pulpit, I'd be judging how many people came down the aisle and that determined whether or not I did a good job. Or then I'd go home and say, well, how do you think I did, Becky? I probably shouldn't have said that. I know I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I should have said, oh, I wish I had thought of that. Oh, I would have done. And I spent all Sunday examining how I did. I don't do that anymore. I go to all these churches and... uh, and these, these pastors will say, Pastor, do you need to go into my office and spend a little bit of time to get ready for this morning? I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> they go, do you, do you know what you're preaching today? I'm like, kind of. <laughs> it's driving the PowerPoint people crazy at these churches that have to have the sermon title and the five points or the three bullet points and everybody wants to write in their bu- I always say, hey, you got a day off. You get in the sound booth, you got a day off because I, 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 I know where we're going. I don't know how we're going to get there. People always walk up and say, Jim, we're looking forward to hearing you this morning. I go, me too. <laughs> and when I'm done preaching, I walk out and I thank the Lord as I trust that he'll do it. And he'll do what he said he would. And I'm learning to rest. And I'm seeing God do a whole lot more. Oh, by the way, listen. That's why in Matthew 11, 28 30, Jesus said, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. Listen, I will give you rest. Listen to what he says next. Take my yoke. He offers us work. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I'm meek and gentle of heart and you will find rest for your souls. Listen, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All right. Thus, this will help us in acquiring the balance. We'll not be lazy, but as we work hard, we'll experience the joy of knowing that the power and the results of what we do belong to God. Thus, carrying a burden and a yoke, but experiencing them as light. You want the balance? Find out what it is that God's called you to do. Do only that. Not what the nominating committee asked you to sign up for. Not what the pastor twisted your arm to do. Only what God had called you to do and trust that God will do it through you. And when you do it, work hard as you can at it and then leave the results to God and you'll experience the balance. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the fact that uh, as uh, you spoke through Niggy tonight, In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, that it's all summed up right there in what Paul said. He no longer lives. He does live, but the life he lives, he lives by faith in the one who died for him. So, Lord, that's what you're wanting from us. You're you're wanting us to stop trying to worry about how we're doing and just do what you've asked us to do. Lord, I watched you and you opened my eyes to this. As you prayed in the garden, you said, Lord, I did everything you asked me to do. Yeah, there was one that didn't respond. He even walked with us and ate with us and slept with us for three years, yet he never responded. But Lord, you weren't fretting in the sense that you saw his rejection as a failure. You left the results to your Father. Father, help us to do that. Lord, help us to be set free from this tendency to measure results and examine how we're doing. Father, look, may we set our pastors free. May we set our Sunday school teachers free. May we realize that nowhere, nowhere, nowhere did Paul ever say to a church, how many are you running or how many are you reaching for Christ? All these things sound good, but it's the flesh. Lord, may we work hard at the things you've called us to do, but may we leave the results to you so that you'll get glory when whatever happens, happens. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.